So, without further ado, you guys, Susan Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> Susan is the newest member of our staff. We're so excited to have her. She has been co-leading children's ministry with Diane. She has her undergrad in family and child development. Is that right? And she taught in the Baltimore Public Schools for a few years, and now they are up here. Her husband's a flight controller. Um, two little kids, Noah and Hope, and she is going to be closing out our sermon series here that we've been doing and talking about wonder. So this is her first time preaching, so be like extra like responsive and really kind. Okay, let's, let's welcome Susan up here. Woo! All right, Susan! All right. Good morning, everyone. So just like Emily just said, we're just finishing up our series today called Wonder, Empathy, and Inclusion, Raising the Next Generation, and we're focusing in on wonder. And the gift of wonder is really essential for our journey of faith, no matter how old we are, along with empathy and inclusion. And I think they all um, meld together really well, as Ken and Cassie have talked about the previous weeks when they touched on empathy and inclusion being curious and having an attitude of wonder is important when we're developing empathy for other people, being curious about people in our community, people outside of our community, can help us also create inclusive environments as well. So um, they're all connected, and I think wonder is kind of a good precursor, just a good foundational discipline for faith. And um, Jesus, I think, is pretty clear that where he is, children are welcome. And not only are they welcome, but that they have tremendous gifts to offer their communities. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus is challenging us to become like little children, and that can kind of go against our ego. Um, it can kind of feel threatening sometimes. Um, it can challenge our thirst for power and independence and self-sufficiency as adults. Um, and I think that wonder is just a huge part of that process of us um, to becoming like little children and being able to participate in kingdom life um, through that, through that lens of wonder. And I kind of see wonder ha having two complementary sides. We have awe and curiosity. Awe is to marvel at the mystery and the beauty and the bigness. When I was little, we used to sing a song that said, when I saw the little lilies pushing up the heavy sod, I marveled at the wisdom of my God. Flowers can bring us awe. Architecture and technology and science, stars, animals, waterfalls. We got to see uh, quite a few beautiful waterfalls. We just took a trip. First time really adventuring in our um, home state of Michigan. We've been here for a couple of years. Um, grew up in Ohio. Never went north for vacation. Always went south. Yep. And... Um, and we got to go to the Munising area, pictured rocks, and um, it was just so many awe-inspiring moments. And every time we would, you know, we took this three-mile hike to this beautiful beach, and, 
you know, as soon as the kids got there, I was with kids, um, four kids ages six to nine. They just tore off their shoes and socks and just were playing in the sand and rolling around. And they didn't care that they had to put those socks back on their feet and walk three more miles back. I cared. I was thinking about the fact that the weather, there's supposed to be a rainstorm, you know. And, and I had to tell myself, you're going to miss it. You're here. You're not going to be back here, you know, for a while. So to just enjoy it. Let the water rush over your toes and, and feel the sand beneath your, you know, feet. And so um, I just noticed the contrast between my impulse in that environment and the kids' impulse in that environment was, was very um, informative. So we can have our breath taken away by a sunset or a mountaintop view, or we can be brought to tears by a song. I, um, I always struggled with the idea of the fear of the Lord, as in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It kind of didn't make sense to me. Um, but now I see it through this lens of wonder. The reverence, the awe of the Lord, acknowledging the bigness and the infiniteness and the magnitude of God is, I think, the beginning step to a life of wisdom. It's the difference between the fear a person may feel if they're running away from someone who wants to hurt them or the, feel you've, the feeling you feel when you're buckling your seat when you're about to ride Top Thrill Dragster at Cedar Point. I don't know if you've done that. But you're going to be experiencing something bigger than yourself for sure when you ride that ride. And that's how I feel that that type of... Um, posture is going to help us experience God. Um, Richard Rohr says, it's not that God is unknowable so much that God is endlessly knowable. And that really um, encourages me on a path of wonder. And it kind of brings us to the second side of wonder, which is curiosity, to dig into the unknown, to ask questions and perform experiments and to wonder why. As Miss Frizzle says, take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. Okay, a little bit? Magic school bus? Anybody? Okay, okay, Miss Frizzle? All right. So, on the path of curiosity, we learn that our questions will almost always be answered with more questions. But it's the search that makes us stronger, that helps us grow and thrive. In Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible?, he has a section called Turning the Gem. And in that, he says, in the rabbinic tradition, they talk about Scripture having 70 faces. So when you read it, you keep turning it like a gem and letting the light refract through various faces in new and unexpected ways. And um, I think that that's a, a posture of curiosity towards our life of faith, that we're never done. If, if we could be done, you know, I was born a PK. I was kind of a preacher's kid. Um, and if we could be done with Scripture, I probably wouldn't be interested in it anymore. But the fact is that as I keep going back to these stories, they, they continue to show me new things and teach me new things um, throughout my whole lifespan. I'm sure that will be um, the case. So children are really already just predispositioned for wonder. Um, it's why we have to baby-proof our houses, right? Once they start to crawl, they're explorers. They're wanting to, to explore their world. 
And it's often why we meet the end of what we know and maybe even the end of our patients with their questions, right? So many questions. There's a study um, through the University of Michigan, actually, that said that the average adult asks about two questions a day, and the average preschooler asks about 100 questions a day. <laughs> so somewhere along the line, we've just kind of, you know, obviously, some of the, it's just because we already know some of the things that preschoolers ask about, but we've also just grown content with not being curious anymore somewhere along the line. Um, so how we treat children and the way that they're received in the world is either going to affirm that predisposition for wonder or it's gonna squash it. Because children also have a need for security and acceptance and a desire to feel safe and up until about the age of 11 or 12, they have very concrete thinking. So being sure about something is very important to children. So if their desire to wonder comes at the detriment to their other needs, then wonder is probably gonna lose out along the way somewhere. So we have some obstacles to, to developing a life of wonder. I think one of those obstacles is pride. Pride's mission is to glorify and magnify the self. So anything extraordinary or outstanding outside of the self gets minimized through the lens of pride. Pride creates this illusion of scarcity that if they have gifts and talents, then maybe there's less to go around for me. And it's harder to celebrate beauty and awesomeness in others when you perceive it as a threat. And in faith, we can grow up with this understanding as well, having a prideful attitude about our faith. An in-and-out mentality, we're taught to be certain and to be ready to answer any questions about our faith um, and to really focus on being right. That really cripples our curiosity. It doesn't leave the door open. Rachel Held Evans um, is one of my favorite authors. I miss her dearly. And she, in her book, Faith Unraveled, she talks about her journey from growing up in, a, in an environment where she was really rewarded for being the best at sword drills, you know, finding the scripture first or having, the, you know, lots of scripture memorized and being having those answers, right? But then as a young adult, she was learning to unravel that again and, to, and asking the hard questions once she started going off script, people started to, you know, have warning lights around it then, right? So, um, so instead of pride and certainty, we can focus on cultivating humility. Yeah. Humility frees us from pride and allows us to see ourselves and others the way that God does. And humility invites mystery, resists the desire to explain everything, and accepts the endless knowability. In Solus Jesus, Ken and Emily talk about this idol of certainty, and that um, they say, instead of certainty, we have humility, sufficient confidence, and a risk-taking willingness to proceed. I love that. I think that that's what we need to model for our children and what we can encourage them on on their own paths of faith. Another obstacle to wonder is, um, I think this would probably be the biggest one, is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of being wrong and paying the price, of losing affection or praise. And unfortunately, fear has been used too long as a motivator to get children to follow Christ. Adults pass on their own insecurities and fears through manipulation, and they're trying to get kids saved. And that's not really the gospel. It's the opposite of love. 
I remember feeling this pressure. One time a Sunday school teacher wondered aloud in Sunday school class whether if Jesus came that very second, if I would be saved since I wasn't baptized and so close to the age of accountability. I was like 11. Um, A local church used to put on this fun Halloween event at the fairgrounds in our county called Scaremare for youth groups to go to mostly. Had a lot of thrills. I mean, they... This was a big event. They had a lot of volunteers doing this. Um, You'd pass through different sections and go through different buildings. You know, when you're 14 and you've got some friends with you, that's like a fun experience to just scream together and stuff like that. But the last room that we got to go to was actually in a stadium. So we walked in and we were towards the top of the stadium. And there was just like one girl at the at the bottom on the floor of the stadium, just crying out for help. It was a depiction of hell. And I think there was like this person in white up on our level, kind of looking off in the distance. She's screaming for help. And you you can tell there's no communication going through to this stoic, angelic figure. He's not hearing her. Um, She's cut off from anything good. And, and so that was the, fir- the last room. And then we got to go in this room. It was, it was like an indoor room. It was pretty brightly lit. And there was lots of volunteers there with these like cards to questionnaires. Like, how did you feel about your experience? And, you know, would you like to talk more about salvation and, and you know, following Jesus? And I'm like, really? Right after that? Like, this is like just ridiculous. Um, so... Fear can really shut down our wonder, and we can, it can also hijack our wonder. Like in that experience, you're you know, kind of using a teenager's capacity to imagine things and, and using it for producing anxiety rather than exploration. So when doubts arise that can be wrestled with and explored, especially in community, they can lead to more wonder. Um, but when we're operating out of fear... Our doubts aren't safe to voice any longer, and then that can create despair. So we really need love, this active, boundless love that drives out fear. Um, and that's really the, the antidote to this, um, to this fear. Two summers ago, I was uh, at a camp. I was a counselor at a camp with a high ropes course. And I was asked if I wanted to go with a group of teenagers just to be an extra staff member to help out and make sure that everything was going smoothly. But I would get to go up with them and experience the course as well. And we had lots of good training. It was a great um, staff that we were working with. And they made sure our harnesses were on correctly and all of our equipment was, was good. And then we began our ascent up a ladder. And as I'm climbing up this ladder, my lungs are, it's getting harder to breathe. I got to that top platform and most of the teenagers had gone up already before me. They were already, you know, having fun. There's three routes that you can take. One's like some wobbly wood pieces that it didn't look very sturdy. <laughs> and then this other one, you kind of glide over. I'm like, no, this one over here was just a cord on the top and a cord on the bottom. I'm like, okay, I think I can handle that. But as soon as I got up there, you know, it's just poles. It's like a spider web, you know, 50 feet in the air or so. And every movement that other people made, I'm feeling it on these cords. 
And as, just a couple shuffles in onto this um, part of the course, I'm exhausted. My hands are never going to open again. And my legs are, you know, shaking because I'm, I'm balancing and they're just, I'm just nervous. So I'm just already just like, okay, is this over yet? And one of the older teens um, that I got to know pretty well, she said, you know, I've heard the instructors tell people that are really struggling to just relax, that if you just let go and let your harness hold you on, on the cord, that can sometimes just alleviate that fear. And I looked around and there was a couple of teenagers already doing that just for fun or because they were just waiting in line because it was only one person at a time on each part of the course. And they're just hanging in the air, talking to each other. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll do it. And I had, you know, two carabiners holding me up on this cord and I just let go and felt my weight being held by something other than myself. And it really helped. I was able to get back up on the course and focus on the joy of the journey. I was still thrilled. I mean, it was still exhilarating to be doing this, but I didn't have to operate out of this just terrified um, attitude anymore. I was moving with more ease, and I was free to explore. And I think that's a good picture of the, this love that we want to give our children. It's kind of the type of love Jesus describes in the story of the prodigal son. There was nothing that could destroy the love that that father had for his son. And then the older son thought it was up to him to stick to the plan, stick to the script, do all the right things and act the right way. And he was the one missing out on that experience of letting go and being held by something that was there to support him the whole time. The father said, everything I have is yours. You know, you, you just haven't felt free to actually enjoy being my son. It's a love that can be leaned into and trusted, that can be pushed against even. A love that reassures children that wherever they go and whatever they do, it's there for them. It gives freedom and peace in the process of exploration. You know, if children believe that God's love is dependent on them making the right moves, they're just going to be like I was, just exhausted, afraid of making a mistake, unable to ex experience any joy in the journey, and they might not want to do it in the first place. They might say, no, I don't want that. So I'm not a perfect mom by any means, and I know my desire is for my kids to, to know that I'm going to love them no matter what. So if I'm getting that um, that small bit of that love to my kids, then how much more is God feeling like that towards us? I think that's where we get it. Um, so this is why we enter the kingdom as children, to know God's love in this way as a mother or a father frees us to take chances and make mistakes and knowing we're never too far away. So another example of this love um, that encourages exploration and wonder is the game of Jenga. How many of you have played Jenga before? Okay, more than have watched Magic School Bus apparently. Okay, so first you have the setup, right? You're placing bricks sturdily together and creating this firm foundation. You build it with rhythm and consistency and orderliness, three by three, till all the bricks have been used up. 
You don't want to build on an uneven surface because the game's pretty much done before you start then, right? You need a table that isn't going to budge. And the setup is necessary to play, but it isn't the end goal. And I think that a lot of times parents and teachers and, and people working with kids, they think that as long as we can just get them set up, okay, we're good, you know? Um, but they, yes, they need a firm foundation. Children need that sturdiness to start their adventuring from, their exploring from. And then you start the process of rearranging the bricks, taking pieces from their original spot and placing them maybe up on top of the, um, the tower. And you continue doing this, and you might start with pieces that are really easy. They just slide out, and um, next person's turn, you know. But then others are really hard. They're on the foundation. Maybe a lot of the tower is leaning on it. And as you push it, you see the tower budging. And maybe you're getting some advice from the people playing with you, like, oh, slow down a little bit. Or, you know, try it from this angle um, over here. And even those bricks you can, with a little patience and determination, those can be moved too. And eventually your tower is getting pretty tall and it looks a lot different than it did at the beginning. But, you know, one stubborn brick pulled in the wrong way, it's gonna send the tower crashing, right? That's part of the game of Jenga. And you feel a little disappointed, but you notice that the people playing with you, they've been here before, they knew it was gonna happen. They, they just start, oh, good job, you know, we got really far and they're encouraging you and they just start placing the bricks again, helping you build again, reassuring you that it's okay. It's part of the process. You build, you explore, you make mistakes along the way, and you build and explore again. So as we engage with the children we have in our lives, we just, we have to be mindful to encourage that wonder and help it grow. And they can help us learn about wonder too. I'm, just like for me at the Pictured Rocks vacation, I was very, um, I was taught by my children and by my niece and nephew that day. Um, we can be patient with their questions. Oftentimes when children ask questions, it's just their way of inviting you into a conversation, telling you that they want to spend time with you. And so instead of an answer, sometimes maybe just tell a story of a time when you were their age or um, a story from history or scripture or a fairy tale. Stories are open-ended and they leave more room for discussion. And we can also encourage wonder through slowing down, insisting... Um, that child adhere, children adhere to the tempo of adulthood um, isn't healthy 100% of the time. Let them set the pace sometimes. As a mom, I'm usually in this hurry-worry mode. I, I'm the pl a planner. I think ahead. I make sure that everything's in the book bag and that the permission slips are signed and um, shoes are on and teeth are brushed. And that's kind of nice to have every once in a while because a lot of things get done and you get places on time more when you have a little bit of that. But operating like that 100% of the time is just exhausting and it leaves no room for exploration or play or detours. And you miss out on just the life that God is sending us day by day. Any idea of a life that we thought had to go a certain way is just a phantom of our imagination that we don't have to cling so tightly to that. And we can model wonder too. And I like to think of it as zooming in or zooming out. 
So when you zoom in, maybe you, you get lost in a flower or you observe a beetle or a butterfly close by. You're just like, just focusing in on, on you know, one thing. At night, um, when I take my dog Mac out, sometimes these cool summer nights have been so nice lately. I just sit on the front stoop and we just have a little sidewalk and then our front lawn and crickets are just always popping out of the lawn and coming onto the sidewalk and hanging out there for a little bit and hopping off into the, to the rocks of my garden area. And I just I was so surprised by that. The first time I took the time to sit there without my phone in my hand and just watch crickets while my dog just was frolicking about, you know, I, I was like so excited that I got in on this little secret. Like they aren't there during the day. I don't ever notice them then. Um, and we can also zoom out, you know, considering the stars and the universe and, and looking at the clouds, just thinking about the enormity of it all and just allowing yourself to feel swept away a little bit. Lastly, um, I listened to the Liturgist podcast and um, one of their most recent episodes was um, Hillary McBride is one of the co-hosts on the podcast and she was interviewing Audrey Assad who's a wonderful musician, and she was talking about her, her life. And um, at the end of the podcast, Hillary brought up this little um, bit of information that I thought fit really well into what we were talking about today. She said, in many shamanic societies, I hope I'm saying that right, if you came to a medicine person complaining of being disheartened or dispirited, they would ask one of the, fo uh, the following questions. When did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop being enchanted by stories? When did you stop finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? So when did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop being enchanted by stories? When did you stop finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? And I think that can lead us right into a time of meditation. So if you want to just get comfortable and relaxed, maybe close your eyes if that feels good and take some deep, slow breaths. And maybe recall yourself as a child, if that brings peace or curiosity. Visualize a place that you enjoy, a beach or the woods or just a park. And just start exploring. Let your inner child explore.
As you're walking or sitting there exploring, delighting in nature, you feel a hand on your shoulder and you're joined by someone who just brings you pure joy. Your face lights up. You want to share everything you've discovered with this person. With them, you feel totally accepted and completely loved. You know, you are free to explore, and you are not alone. Amen. Thank you.